0: What is fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Damp Valley coming at you with some more Hoops Talk. Before we get started, uh, we're going to discuss, I guess, Lakers, Raptors, and Bulls on this podcast. So I highlighted, I set off to do one team and I have like 80 windows open now and did a bunch of research and notes trying to decide which team to focus on. I'm just going to focus on all three because they're all pretty topical. Anywho, if you have not already, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it. If you're on YouTube, hit that sub button right now. It would mean a lot. Like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Also, if you're listening to us for the first time on audio, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever, subscribe. Download every episode. You know, Give us some allegiance. You'll have fun around here. Very seriously unserious. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube descriptions. Follow us on all the socials. Um, those are in the YouTube and podcast descriptions as well. Really trying to build up Instagram and TikTok at the moment, in addition to you know Twitter, obviously, and YouTube. But follow us everywhere. And if you've done all those things, recommend us. Word of mouth. Shout-outs on Twitter. Retweet our promos. Tell people about us. Anything you can do to help us continue to grow the community. But shout-out to everyone who continues to come back and has listened from not just day one, but trickled on and, and stayed with us. We appreciate you, as I try to say, at the top of every podcast, for the most part. Let's get into some talk here. Um, let's begin with, we'll go with the Lakers just because we only talk about Lakers on the podcast. Anyone who uh, is familiar with us, but just a little bit topical with the AD right foot injury that he suffered over the weekend. Uh, initially, World Cup news dump. The Lakers said he was going to be out a month, uh, but then it came out that it could be indefinitely. And then Brian Windhorse on the Hoop Collective podcast Monday said, it's not good. It's not a sprained ankle. It's not a sprained foot, from what I understand. It's something a little more concerning than that. Maybe we'll know by the time I'm even recording this podcast, like, or that it's out and you're listening to it. Uh, That's no bueno for the Lakers. It's 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 fucking terrible. Is is really the they they're able to beat the Wizards without him on Sunday, but it's the you know the Wizards. Uh, So I. Anthony Davis was this sucks because Anthony Davis playing probably the best basketball of his career if not close to it kind of a finite stretch so if you didn't want to say it was the best basketball of his career but just looking at the way that he was hitting some really difficult shots and just creating for himself the chemistry that he built up with Russell Westbrook it's a blow it's a monstrous blow and now we pivot Russ didn't play in some. I didn't see the Wizards game but Russ didn't play in the Wizards game I believe. Uh, he and LeBron, without AD on the court, they're they're up to a minus one point six points per hundred possessions this season. Um, just something to monitor. I think you're in a situation now with Russ and uh, Russ and AD had developed some really nice chemistry when LeBron wasn't on the court. Now those minutes are just Russ and Thomas Bryant, and so the Lakers, um, specifically on the offensive end this year. When Thomas Bryant and LeBron have played together without Anthony Davis, they're pumping in 122.9 points per 100 possessions. So the offense has been fine. The defense has been in the 51st percentile. Um, they've been mainly surrounded by Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker, and then they rounded out with some sort of guard in there. Maybe it's Russ. Um, that lineup has not been good. Uh, maybe it's Dennis Schroeder at this point. Patrick Beverly could be sprinkled in there. But it seems like you know the crux of your main Lineup now is going to be like your best lineup, I should say, is Walker, Reeves, James, and Bryant. I think also by extension, if if Bryant's able to space the floor, that's not you know it, he's not a proxy for AD, but that's at least op- that's at least opening up the floor in the front court. He's not going to replace anything that Anthony Davis does on a defense, which is certainly going to be a problem. But at least opening up the floor in the half court for a guy like let's say Lonnie Walker, who I think and you could say this for Russ too, but Lonnie Walker becomes more important because of his creation and ability to put pressure on set defenses. So you look at him and LeBron as maybe driving forces of this offense. It probably makes Dennis Schroeder a little bit more important to this team as well too. So I don't know that the Lakers are just going to be able to survive this stretch without Anthony Davis, because we don't necessarily know how long it's going to last. If it's a month, I mean, that's a long enough time. I thought I said, the Warriors would probably be done. If Steph is going to wind up missing a month, it's supposed to be a few weeks. We'll see what happens. Lakers are 13 and 16, 12th place. Um, they're right there. I mean, they're one loss back of the play-in as I'm recording this. Like, that's not the end of the world. But the Western Conference, you just don't – I mean, this season really don't have any margin for error. What's also impactful here, or this will impact how the Lakers approach the trade deadline, I would imagine. LeBron was asked about this on Sunday, and he said that's a question for Palenka. But you know that he's going to want them to trade the picks probably more than ever now just to supplement the help but you're also in this weird conundrum at the same time where it's like, well, you don't have Anthony Davis. Like what is the target via trade? The buddy healed miles Turner one with Russell Westbrook makes a a little bit more sense now, maybe because you don't have AD right away, especially if he could miss an indefinite amount of time, but also makes less sense because of how important Russ has become off the bench. And his shot creation has all of a sudden been a boon for this team. I think I can't remember who first pointed that out on Twitter. I think I want to say it was Jackson Frank, um, but I hope I'm not mis misciting that. And that was a great point is that you just can't throw Russ away willy-nilly. There's a trade that Grant and I will talk about on a separate podcast that might make more sense for the Lakers because you're getting shot creation in there and if you're going to give up Russ, that's what you have to do. Otherwise, you might just be better off leaning into shooting and seeing like, well, can we take on the last year of Buddy Hield's deal and we'll just use like the Nun Beverly package to do that. Like that could be a route for them to go and maybe the Pacers are more amenable if they don't want to pay healed next season. But I, so it's it's one. The question becomes, are they more or less likely to move the picks now? And I think they're less likely just because it seemed like they were sort of circling the drain on scenarios there to begin with, or at least maybe waiting for some to crop up closer to the February 9th deadline. And maybe that could always happen where there's where this no brainer scenario that we're just not even considering right now. And maybe Bradley Beal demands a trade or something um in january and you know then yeah you go and get bradley beal but as of now it just feels less likely because ad is slated to miss at least a month in which case look by the time he gets back the lakers will definitely be better than the spurs and the rockets in the west that's really the only team you could be confident in saying they'll be better than i mean minnesota is um one game without rudy gobert and and, um and carl anthony towns at this point the warriors uh, I mean, maybe the, like the whatever version of the Raptors is now without Steph. So that's yeah, whatever there. But like, you know, maybe you could if the Warriors sort of trail off, you still do have LeBron James has been quietly, really good, quietly, really good recently for LeBron James. That's such a weird thing to say. But it also feels feels like we're not talking enough about some for some reason, Shea just hits a game winner. And it feels like we all of a sudden stopped talking about him before that. Andy Edwards has been playing really well, hasn't really been seeing a lot of attention. And LeBron has been playing really well. It just doesn't feel like those three are receiving enough attention. Shea at least got it at the top of the season. And then Edwards and had it for like kind of the wrong reasons at the beginning of the season. I digress. Does this change the calculus though? If you are deciding to move the picks is would be my, is the question I'm more interested in because I just think they're not going to now at this point that you're just going to sit tight or maybe again, like the Beverly nun second round pick something. What does that get you? If anything, maybe they explore that does this make you more inclined to be okay? Well, given AD's injuries, like it's not just about shock crease like, we need a big in here too. And so is there a way to, do you start looking at, I mean, you can get miles Turner with the non Beverly package. If you're including the picks as well. Uh, if the Pacers don't have to take on Russ and you're still giving the picks or you're giving both picks, I think miles, they're not going to trade miles Turner for one first round pick. I'd be shocked if they did that. If it was two, and like, that's the package is built around the non Russ. You're not, you can't ask for compensation for those expiring contracts. Like they're just small or even rough at this point. It's different because his contract is so large. Even if he's been playing a lot better, uh, it, you can't, you can't just reroute him. And any team that's acquiring him is not acquiring him to keep him. And so that's why there's some level of compensation involved in getting off his expiring contract at this point. You could explore that scenario, but does it make sense? Okay, now we have Miles Turner. Then when AD comes back and that should work, we can close with both of them. But if something happens to AD again, that's how we have Miles Turner. But is there almost a hollowness in doing that now? If you if AD is going to miss six weeks, eight weeks, and you just have a chance to not like to still miss not just the playoffs but the play-in tournament, and that's the dilemma the Lakers are in. Um, so I would not expect them to move the picks, but I would expect this to change the calculus in the event that they do that. It's either going to be now more so than it was before. Oh a star became available or we might even see this skew. Okay. Maybe it's one. And i not say both the picks, but maybe it's one pick and they're just like, Oh, we really need to fortify some of our front court depth here because something always happens to Anthony, Anthony Davis. It's never the same injury, but his chronic injury is getting injured at this point. And it's just, it's a blow to Lakers because he was playing so great. You never want to see anyone get injured, but he was, you know, I didn't have him in my MVP discussion just yet. I was probably waiting to see uh, how he played a little bit longer and also, you know, would the Lakers be relevant enough for him to continue playing at that level for an extended period of time? Who knows there. Uh, so I'm the Lakers are just fascinating from that perspective. I find them very, like I don't want the word is I'm not interested in them as a basketball team as much now without Anthony Davis on the court. I am still kind of intrigued. Like, Oh, can LeBron lead them through this stretch? And what happens if he does like, if LeBron is winning basketball games for you with this group, or if this group is just winning basketball games for you without Anthony Davis, that's probably going to put more pressure on you to then move those picks because, oh, we get Anthony Davis back, and if we could get player or players who actually help and deepen this rotation, perhaps we could make some noise in the Western Conference, especially if there's pullback in in Dallas or Minnesota or, you know, Golden State with Steph being at. That's where I'm at on the Lakers, though. Let's go to the Chicago Bulls, who led up 150 points on Sunday to the, you know, very to the shorthanded Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, my God, Zach Levine called it embarrassing. Uh, the Bulls have lost a whole bunch of games lately over their past 20 games. They are nine and 11. No, they're 11 They're Excuse me. The Bulls are over their last 20 games, six and 14, and they are 20th in offense, 22nd in defense. They are, they feel like a clusterfuck at this point in the worst possible way. And I don't really know how to go about fixing them. And a lot of people have put them on blow-up watch. I'm reticent to say team should blow it up. I'll talk about it. I enjoy talking about it. But what does blow-up mean? Let's go into specific. Like, you can't just blow, blow up a roster in theory. You need to find takers for the players you're trying to move. And the moves need to make sense for you. That being said, Brian Windhorse, again, did say on the Hoop Collective, it's going to be something that is going to be discussed more and more. The Bulls' downfall. I think you're going to start. You're going to see some bull stuff coming here. They could wait a little longer, but they also could take advantage of the fact that there are no sellers right now. And if they were to sell, they may be able to do well in the market. I think we may be seeing that discussed a lot more coming up. I agree with him in the sense that I think sellers, if they're willing to act early, might be able to get more since they're allowed to set the market and there are other teams that tend to wait around. But I just... I don't know what a teardown looks like for this team, or I guess we know what it looks like. I don't know if they're going to be ready to go that route. I think they'll look at the top four protected pick they owe to Orlando and think that they're doing the magic more of a service than themselves. At this point, I think you need to write it off as a sunk cost. Maybe you finish with a bottom four record, gives you about a coin toss of of keeping that pick, and perhaps you keep it. Uh, But if you don't, it's just there's value in, okay, well, who did we move and what did we get for them? it does Vooch have any value as an expiring contract. I, I honestly don't know. I think Zach Lowe was talking to Sarah Kustak on his podcast about, could they get like a first and a prospect for him or something? And I even thought that was from the nets. And I just even thought that was like, or two rotation players in a pick or something. I even thought that was a high cost for Vooch. who has been better this year and stretches the floor, but I just don't know that he's someone, especially headed towards free agency. You give up real value for Perhaps if you're getting off a contract. You don't want that'd be something to consider. Uh, there's DeMar DeRozan. That's an arrows cropped up specifically with the Lakers. He'll have value. He still remains per unpredictable. One of just the most overwhelmingly valuable clutch players in the league this season. So there's, you know, that's, he's definitely someone who I think would, uh, garner value. I don't know. Is he going to get you two first round picks? Probably not. He ranks first, by the way, in unpredictable clutch probability added as I record this. So, uh, win probability added, excuse me. Um, but you could move him. Zach Levine would be the big one. That's the guy that I look at and say, okay, well, they are blowing it up. He has four years and $178.1 million left on his deal. He is, he's just looked off, especially lately. And his defense has been bad. Uh, to Chicago sometimes is Joe Callie. He actually absolutely went in on him in a recent article after that loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't think it's just Levine who is culpable. I think that this is just an issue of a team that was kind of built around like, no, you weren't going to protect the basket. And they're not like, they're not doing a good job of that with Vooch with Andre Drummond, but their defense has just been such a disaster because they don't have the same level of disruption of disruption as they had last year when you had Caruso and Lonzo um, for together for at least a stretch on like this season where Lonzo's yet to play. And now Caruso's kind of just out there on his own, I think Ayotusumu maybe has slipped a bit defensively. Not having Javante Green uh, during in the game against the Timberwolves really hurt them, and so it leaves Caruso sort of on this this island. Uh, the Bulls have just been like, I, I don't want to even say hit or miss. It's mostly been missed, but like this is not a team that you can trust to do anything when it comes to their their transition transition defense. They have one of the bottom five um, during this stretch where they are um, six and fourteen they have one of the bottom five half court defenses, which is like bad in itself. They are, you know, they're not letting up a lot of second chance opportunities, but teams were just hitting their, their first shots. And when you get the transition, like no nope, Chicago is bottom five there as well during this stretch. And they're not a team that you trust to get back on uh, defense after they commit a turnover. Uh, they're not a team that you even trust to go and get set um, af- after these live rebounds, after they miss a shot. And so, when you're not even going to be able to do that, like the baseline level of, okay, let's get back on defense during these live balls. And then you're just going to kick in the fact that they're just fouling a ton right now. Uh, I think they were close to bottom 10 in foul rate during this six and 14 stretch. It gets super tough and you're not built to fix it because it's okay. Who is your defensive fulcrum? It's Alex Caruso and his hustle, his ball pressure, but like you need someone below him to depend on. And Patrick Williams as an isolation defender, like, yeah, sure, but like it's sort of just a team disruptor. No, that's where you – and I can't even say you miss Lonzo Ball since he's not going to play like below that. But when you have two of Cruz's home ball on the court at once, that certainly makes a difference. Um, yeah, having Even having a healthy Javante Green, like that can make a difference too. But it's not going to be Vooch. It's not going to be Drummond. Billy Donovan had a quote – I can't remember where it was from – where he was kind of just bemoaning that he can change the defensive coverage is all he wants, but like guys just aren't engaged and they're just getting beat. And I think you can see it – I mean, you can see it in all facets of the Bulls' defense if you watch them for a minute – and I think Stefan No of Sporting News had a really good thread on this on Twitter the other day, too. But there's just like they just look languid. It's it's just it's inertia on the defensive end. And like I said, I don't the transition defense lately has not even been like their worst spot, but it just feels egregious on how they can't even get set after live balls so even get beat in that scenario in the half court. So this team, and when you're dealing with those issues, and like, yeah, you have these talented offensive players and you're still floating around the bottom 10 in offensive efficiency during this 20 game stretch. That's an issue too. And so it becomes a matter of where, where do you go to fix things if you wanted to write the ship this season? And I I don't know, this is the team that I just don't have a feel for what they're going to do or how they would even go about fixing it. Like I can direct what I would do. And that is, I would probably tear it down and say, fuck the obligations to to the pick that we have for Orlando. Let's get that out of the way then. Um, But let's start fresh. I don't think the ownership, the front office is going to want to do that. Uh, everything they've done you know, over the past couple of years implies the opposite. That Vuce trade just, I think, sort of accelerated everything that happened after that. When you look at the DeRozan trade, going after a bunch of win now players and treating yourself as just sort of this quasi contender or someone who's on the it when you really weren't. Um, but I do think, are we having a different conversation if Lonzo Ball is healthy? Maybe, but that is the reality of the situation right now. I'm not saying trade Lonzo Ball for Peanuts. But like, you kind of have to recalibrate here in some way. But I don't know where to begin because I feel like there's so much wrong and I don't know how to fix. Like, yeah, you need the Bulls need to take more threes and they need more shooters on this team. But like, you can go acquire a shooter, but that's not going to fix your defensive issues unless that shooter also happens to be like an amazing uh, defender. And so the other problem is, is like you could kind of use an upgrade or you you need an upgrade on your front line defensively. But if you're gonna move vooch for that, are you really using Vooch? Who is a valuable player to upgrade at his position and what's the equity you're including to to do that at this point? And it's probably player based just because you owe your twenty twenty three pick to the magic and your twenty twenty five pick to the Spurs. And so like you're you you could not trade a first round pick before kingdom come at this point. So what are you what what are you doing? and wh- who is the target? And like, yeah, you could attach Patrick Williams to somebody, but then like, who are you getting? Like, you need it. They're in such a weird spot that I don't see a pathway to them even being able to make this impact trade. If anyone has ideas that they think they have a trade, a trade that solves more than one of the Bulls' issues, you feel free to get at me with it. But this team just feels formless right now. I think that's the best way to put it. I do think if Zach Levine starts playing better, hitting more, I don't, I don't know if he, he looks slower this year, but I think he's going to start. You know, And even like his shooting percentages, we've seen players shoot worse than this, but like by his standards, he could be hitting a higher clip of the shots that he's taking. Um, And so you expect that to come up eventually. And so between him and DeRozan, like, could you be okay with where the Bulls are at on offense? They're able to open the floor a little bit more with the way that Vooch has been shooting this year. Sure. Defensively, it's tougher. And I still think even with that setup, it can be a slog offensively for them at times. And so you still need the supplementary shooting on this team. And I, I just don't know. I honestly don't know where they're supposed to go from here. I, I, again, I know what I would do, but knowing their MO, which is not to, you know, t- to tear it down or rebuild, like they wanted to have this quick turnaround. I just, I don't even, I don't see what the next course is for them. And it's that terrible podcasting to not have a solution here, but even they they can't even find like the right starting unit. Like all of their most lineups are just their most used or most popular lineups. So many of them are just getting absolutely trucked at the moment. And so it's, that gets a lot harder. And this isn't, and my point there is so Lonzo ball say he just came back. Like, let's just say Lonzo ball came back. Yeah. He takes care of the three point shooting the three point volume. Some of your defensive issues. This is not just a matter of oh, Lonzo ball isn't here. And that's why the bulls are where they are. There's just something fundamentally inherently incurably flawed about the makeup of this roster right now. And I think if you were going to aim to fix it this season, you're looking at making a bunch of trades, probably mortgaging the future for a low, more so than you already have for a return that wouldn't even be ideal and they they are one of my we need I think we'll do a podcast on like the most fascinating teams entering the trade deadline or something. But I am watching them just because they feel like a team that could be forced to just because they're losing by so much. I just I would be shocked and I'll phrase it this way to close up on the Bulls. If they go full throttle into the teardown, if they move, I could see them moving two of Vooch and DeRozan and then like of, of Vooch, DeRozan, and Levine. And I just wouldn't bet on it being Levine. And I'd be curious to see his trade value based off how he's played this season, history of like the knee issues in his rear view. Uh, four years, and $178.1 million left on his deal. Would you rather have him or Bradley Beal's contract? Yeah, him. He's slightly younger. I think his... Uh, I mean, Bradley Beal's been def- better when he's healthy defensively this year, but that, that, he's just... Levine is cheaper. So I'd just be curious, Like, is now even the time to tear down? Because you're getting... Pretty good value for DeRozan. Who else, though? Like Patrick Williams has been – he feels hit or miss on offense. Like he'll start to figure some things out or he'll shoot really well from three, but it's not on high enough volume, and then he'll play really good like defense for a few possessions but then feel like he's lost if he's not able to just zero in on the ball. There's just so much weird about this team in, when looking at their individual stocks. I think at the moment you could probably get – let's say DeRozan might be like, – oh, my here's so here's the real question. Of all the players on the roster, who is at the peak of their trade value? There'd be De, there'd be DeRozan and peak is sort of relative term here. I know he's in his age 33 season, but let's say like you would get good value for him that you would be comfortable moving him. And I would say Caruso maybe who's quietly just by the way during this stretch averaging everyone sit down a whopping 4.2 field goal attempts per game um less fewer than two of which are coming inside the arc but those two players. Yeah. You're confident you could get like net positive, but a value that you're, excuse me, as I whack my microphone all over the place, you're comfortable that you could get that waiting wouldn't improve their value. Like this is, we're going to trade their value is Probably not going to get much higher than it is right now with Levine. Maybe even with Vooch you feel that way because you think there's nowhere to go but down. But like Levine and Vooch and even Patrick Williams and Io Desumu and definitely Kobe White at this point, like they're not and Lonzo Ball for sure. You're not going to get like there there's value in thinking, oh well if we hold on to some of these guys, maybe they'll improve their trade value, but maybe Maybe that's wishful thinking when it comes to a Patrick Williams. If, um, it's, it could be definitely wishful thinking when it comes to Vucevic. I think it's fine to think that way with Levine and Ball specifically, and that's kind of why I wouldn't expect them to go full throttle here. And so, if you told me to pick the o, let's set the over under at one point five of them moving to DeRozan, Caruso, Levine, and Lonzo this season. I'm going and I'm not gonna throw Patrick Williams in there because I just don't think he gets moved as part of a sell job. I think that maybe Iyo Desunmu. That's someone you move to make a consolidation trader to make an improvement to your roster. So stick with those five guys. I'm gonna set the over-under at 1.5 of DeRozan, Levine, Lonzo, Vooch, and uh Caruso. Did I say that? DeRozan, Levine, Vooch, Caruso, and Lonzo. Yeah, those five, 1.5, I'd take the under. That's just the amount of faith I have in the Bulls front office. And I'm not saying they need to sell low on Lonzo. I wasn't like including his name to make that easier. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade him now either. There's if you're gonna tank anyway, like let's just see. What? How healthy he gets next season? Can he help your team? Can he improve his own trade value? So throw him out of there and let's set the other four players at one point five. I'm taking me under anyway. Like, that doesn't really matter there. So Bulls panic meter incredibly high for me. Uh, finally, the Toronto Raptors. Speaking of panic meters that I didn't see us having to gauge, I guess at any point this season, someone had asked and on YouTube whether the Toronto Raptors should blow it up. We did it in a mailbag. Both Grant and I came out here preaching patience, caution, saying it was too soon. We both look a little bit foolish now, and I certainly feel a little bit foolish for dismissing the notion that they would ever do it. I'm still not convinced that they will do it. Let me make that clear. But, like, they have earned like, the, the talk of, oh, are they going to blow it up? They have absolutely earned that. Um, they lost another game on Monday night to the Philadelphia 76ers. It was at least close, but that now makes six straight. And the pathway to this team, yeah, you could point to some absences. Um, They're two and nine, though, over their last 11. And like OG Ananobi missed some of that time. Pascal Siakam played all of those games, but he was working his way back from, I think it was an adductor injury, or is that OG had an adductor injury? They both have an adductor injury. I can't keep up with all these injuries. I do try my best there, though. So, like, yeah, you've dealt with some absences, like getting nothing from Otto Porter this year, like that has to really hurt. But this 11-game stretch has sort of been a microcosm of all the issues that we were worried about manifesting into one just giant shitstorm for this team. And I think it's fair now to wonder, well, should they go a different direction here? They are, during this 11-game stretch, um, actually better when I was looking at it because watching them, you wouldn't think that. They are 18th in offensive efficiency. That was shocking. 22nd in defense. Um, their, their half court offense, it's still, it's a mess. It's just a mess. They are during this stretch, they're 24th, but they're 29th and half court offense on the season. Um, they're not like they're, they can still get some second chance points, but like during this stretch, they haven't been getting a crap ton of them. And so when you're relying on that and then you're all of a sudden, okay, you're still really relying on transition. Um, and you've been okay in transition during this stretch. H- how are you going to generate your half court offense though? Like you can get out in transition, but if you're not going to be able to have a more dynamic half court offense, aside from let's rebound our own misses and really hope that Pascal Siakam um, can continue to play the way he's playing and then Fred Van Fleet will start hitting shots, uh, it, it puts you in a conundrum. And they're just, when you watch the way they play, they're not built to play that way. Here's, there's only three teams who use isolation possessions as a larger share of their offensive touches Dallas, Philly, and Brooklyn. Those are probably the three teams you'd expect right? Like maybe you would think like Portland or the Clippers would be in there, but those are the three teams you would predict. However, Toronto, despite being fourth in ISO frequency is 28th in efficiency, 0.78 points per ISO possession. Only the bucks at 0.72. That's a red flag by the way. And the San Antonio Spurs are worse in that department. They don't have guys that you can trust hit off the dribble jumpers. And I'm not saying those need to be hallmarks of your offense, but you need to have that option. The Raptors don't they are shooting their effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers this year, 39.8 only the Spurs and the Lakers have lower effective field goal percentages on pull-up jumpers. That's just, that's an absolute disaster. And like, there are some things that you can envision normalizing Fred van fleet shooting under 26% from three over these last 11 games. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. banged up right now. His shot selection even felt like it was, and he wasn't even like one of their bigger issues then, but OG under 30% from three during this stretch. Scotty Barnes been all over the place this season. He will have a game like the nets where everything seems like it's clicking. The processing speed is up there. He's attacking. Looks like he has great touch. They don't just have moments. I mean, like the Sixers, uh, I think it was, I can't remember if it was an overtime, but like he just chucked up like this floater that missed everything. And so, there needs to be a level of patience with him because he is in his second year. And so like, I'm not, you know, deep deboarding the, this Scotty Barnes bandwagon, but like when you can't count on him to be this supremely net positive player, and then that's on top of just not having enough reliable on ball options in the half court or enough shooting. They're in the bottom five of three point shooting frequency and accuracy. And that's a whole nother issue. The bench Probably been a little bit better than last season when you're looking at the numbers, but not something you could rely on. We have Nick Nurse turning to Malachi Flynn all of a sudden because he's so desperate. And then there's the defensive energy too. Like this is a team where we probably I, I think we oversell like the collective need for be like, oh, go ahead and trade for trade for a big. But like the Raptors need a big. The whole like, you know, club six seven and six nine thing, it might allow you to switch, but Nick Nurse feels like he's like not even trusted that as much. And the Raptors haven't been as good as that. We've seen a lot of lazy closeouts from them. Um, We've even seen them like their transition defense has been disappointing a lot of the time during this stretch. So I don't know how you look at this team and think, right, well, they need someone who can end defensive possessions by grabbing boards, but then also help them with their rim protection because they're 28th in uh, rim protection. Opponents are shooting over 70% against them against them at the rim. Uh, and then you look at just like their, their overall uh, defensive metrics. Like they're not, they're built to be better than they are on defense. And when you look at the season long numbers, they're 15th and 15th per cleaning the glass. It's not like it doesn't paint this dire situation, but the Raptors uh, have like one of the seven worst location effective field goal percentages allowed for the season. And they've probably actually been a little bit better. Now that I'm looking at the splits um, during this stretch where they've just gotten absolutely trucked, but on the season, you know they've given up like threes, they've given up looks at the rim, so there needs to be like maybe a fundamental change in their defense. Can they afford to be less aggressive at points? Like, could that be something that they could really look at? But yeah, they're 29th in location effective field goal percentage, which is basically what would you expect opponents to shoot based on where you're allowing your shots from. And because they are allowing, they're in, they allow a bunch of threes and a bunch of looks at the rim, like they are 29th in that category. That's a that's another red flag. So there are so many red flags with this team. What is interesting and what I still do believe is that they feel like they're closer to being able to possibly fix it than, or at least upgrade from the outside rather than just, Hey, tear it down. And maybe they do straddle those two lines where it's, or not try to upgrade, but like you could see the moving Fred Van fleet because they don't want to pay him a Gary Trent Jr. But you keep Siakam Barnes and uh, OG Ananobi. I think blowing it up would constitute moving Pascal Siakam. And I just, He's probably I mean, if we did an all-NBA ballot right now, he would be on mine, I think. So how like why are you just going to move him when you have that type of a player? And if you still do believe in Scotty Barnes. I also think there's a misconception where and uh you know, Rome 8180 had pointed this out in our Discord that he disagrees um that the Raptors wouldn't move Ojan and Obi because couldn't they trade him to get like uh you know as part of a buy play? And I think he's right in that sense, if I'm missing his point, if his point was something else, I definitely could see them moving him as part of a buy. I think they would strive not to, but are we sure they're going to buy? And then if they're not going to buy, are we even sure that they're going to sell? Like, are they just going to try and float this thing into the off season? Um, I will say, I think that if they were able to get like a mid end shot creator to help their half court offense, it would go a long way. Uh, I also think that they don't need to get caught up with, as I was saying before, I think we, overestimate how much value size can be sometimes but I also think we overvalue like well how does this guy match up against Joel Embiid in the playoffs worry about that when you actually match up with Joel Embiid this is all to say I'm not really ready to talk about Raptors tear down trades yet because I can't envision them being there imminently so I feel like the conversation to be had about oh where would they trade Fred Van Fleet or where would they trade Pascal Siakam That has to happen another day. And I don't think they're actually tearing it down unless they do really entertain Pascal Siakam trade talks. He's playing at an all NBA level right now. I think you kind of owe it to your organization to see like, well, is there anything we could do that's not ultra disruptive to the future? Maybe still optimize this team. And it's, you know, can you make a lower end upgrade and see if that injects some life where it's not, Oh, Christian Coloco is really our only big that we can lean on. Sean Holmes is floating around out there in Sacramento. Can you look at getting another, you know, floor spacing, secondary shot creator? Uh, Is Atlanta, you know, knowing that they're in sort of tax dump mode, like why not sniff around John Collins or also like Bogdan Bogdanovich? That's someone who could really help them. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich could probably really help the Raptors as well too. No, he's not going to do anything for their defense at this point, but like you need to address one thing at a time. And maybe is there like a Noel Bogdanovich deal to be hashed out there? Uh, They would have to have interest in Gary Trent Jr. And then you have other money going out. I think Eric Gordon is someone who could really help this team. Uh, So I think that they have options. Now, would you go out and immediately do that if you see like you can't really right the ship from within? Maybe not, but I still think even if the Raptors tear it down, I've seen too much of OG Ananobi talk in there. Barnes and Ananobi, I imagine, would be the two players that would be close to off limits. I'd imagine Barnes is off limits in a non-superstar trade and that they look at OG Ananobi as, yeah, we're eventually going to have to pay him, but he's still sort of... Plug and play, and his offensive decision making can be all over the place. And again, he looks a little bit like sluggish, um, coming back from that, that adductor injury. But I think that those are the two, if you're rebuilding, those are the two you keep. And so I see all these teams lusting after OG Ananobi. There's a reason why, and which is why I don't think the Raptors would move him now. If they were Kevin Durant becomes available again, or if Star to be determined that I can't envision is on the trade market and they decide to go out and get him, yeah, I, I think that OG Ananobi could be on the table, but. Moving him feels counterintuitive to the rebuild. Just because you have to pay him, that's not scary. He could be movable on his next deal. Like that's just the cap is going up. Um, he could sign his deal like right as that's happening, basically, or just before it's happening. Um, they'll have a better sense of that market. And it's not like he's entering free agency this summer. That's an issue that you have to sort of grapple with. Uh, not sort of. That's an issue you have to grapple with with regards to Fred Van Fleet, with regards to Gary Trent Jr. It's not that imminent with. OG Ananobi. And so I would expect this team to probably ride it out. If I were the Raptors, I'd probably try and see if I could hit like a single or a double as a means to like, okay, we didn't give up any huge equity. So if this doesn't work out, we need to pivot. But I think that there are steps that can be taken specifically to improve the half court offense that doesn't necessarily involve acquiring a superstar. So like, let's just get someone who could hit a pull up jumper. And yeah, that's easier said than done. But again, Boya Mogdanovich is floating around out there, and he's someone who could help your team. Uh, I actually think Bogdan Bogdanovich would be perfect for them. I just don't know how willing the Hawks would be to listen right now, given their aspirations. They'd probably certainly listen for John Collins, especially with Gary Trent Jr. centered around it. That could be a route you go, though. Just hope John Collins helps with your rebounding and then gives you another sort of screening, but also floor spacing outlet in the half court, if you believe that that's something that can open up um, what you're trying to do. What's odd, though, is that if you trade Gary Trent Jr., you do sort of miss when he's healthy what he would bring. Um, even if you can be manned by his shot creation and him taking too many gambles on on defense, that type of player, someone else who can put the ball on the floor from the outside in um, or is confident enough to hit like take those shots and give you some volume, you you kind of need that. And so then getting rid of him and f- flipping him into a big, uh, you would really have to trust that OG and OB Fred Van Fleet and Scotty Barnes are going to be the answers for you on the perimeter this season or that you're going to get more out of I, like that Otto Porter Jr. is going to stay healthy. You're going to get more of him. Or Precious Chew is going to come back, and you're going to get more of that from him. I would expect this team to remain patient. Remains to be seen whether that's the right call, but I don't think we're in blow-up mode yet. And I, I again, I want to caution. Just because they trade Fred VanVleet, who I think might be him and Gary Trent Jr. the two most likely to be traded, it's the Pascal Siakam future I'm looking at. If they show a willingness to entertain offers, they are blowing it all to hell. And I'll be shocked if, as part of the sell, they wind up moving OG Ananobi. So I'm this is a team that we're probably going to focus on. We'll do our trade deadline previews or primers eventually. And there are a lot of like, you know, we can get into more nitty gritty targets. But for now, should the Raptors blow it up? I have no idea. Do I would lean no still. I'm still leaning no. Do I think they're going to blow it up? I ultimately do not think that they're going to uh, go that route. That'll do it for this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Please, if you're watching or listening for the first time, throw us that permanent subscription. If you've already done so, tell people about us. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. Follow us on the socials. If you're not already, we will be putting out more organic content. I'm already putting out a few you know videos of organic content on Instagram and TikTok a week, along with memes um, on TikTok and Instagram and even our YouTube community posts. And even on shorts, I'm trying all different sorts of things to continue to grow the community, but also to put more content out there for everyone to consume. Until next time, and as always, I leave you with the shout out to one, the only, the indelible, Frank Nealist.